This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com dot com forward slash crime. There are some missing persons cases which long after the media coverage has stopped and the years have ticked by seem to stick in the public consciousness. Cases which if you mention them to your mate in the pub they'd say oh yeah I remember that one. Cases where the little details stick with you. You might think of Lord Lucan, the British aristocrat who vanished in mysterious circumstances in 1974 and left no shortage of conspiracy theories in his wake. You'll likely recall Madeleine McCann, the British toddler who went missing while on a family holiday to Portugal in 2007, a case which is never far from the headlines. What is it about these cases that capture the public's imagination like no other, that go viral on social media, or attract their own online discussion forums? And what's it like to be in the middle of a missing persons case when it becomes the biggest news story of the year? In this episode, we explore one of the most notorious disappearances on British soil and ask whether it's finally time that that case was solved. Well, the trail is starting to get cold, isn't it? And yeah, hopefully one day we will bury her where we want to bury her. 
I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They believe that every one of these cases could still be solved. This is The Missing, Susie Lamplew. I bet you're thinking, hold on, I recognise the name Susie Lamplew. Yeah, she was an estate agent, right? She was, and you remember her, just as so many other people do, because her disappearance in the mid-80s was so baffling. But while you might remember the coverage, or where you were when you saw it on the news or heard it on the radio, you didn't experience it. You weren't inside it. Richard Lamplew is Susie's brother, someone who didn't just read the headlines, he lived them. Richard wants to ask those who remember Susie's story, as well as those who have never heard it before, to listen. And more than that, to speak up. Someone out there might hold the crucial piece of information that the Lamplew family need to close this case once and for all. The year is 1986. Susie is working in Sturgis and Sons, an estate agents in Fulham, the affluent area of West London which attracted the well-heeled professional looking for a place to live. She was good at her job, friendly, professional. In fact, Susie was the poster girl for the 80s working woman. 25 years old, with glossy light brown hair and a huge smile, she was young, beautiful, intelligent, and it seemed like she had the world at her feet. She was quite good at selling houses and... Yeah, and there was a real boom in London at that time, so she did well out of it. This is Richard, Susie's brother, talking to us about his sister's life. I was always very impressed with how well she was doing and how much she was enjoying life. She had this motto, which was, life was for living. She liked to live like that, in a way. She, every day she would want to you know, enjoy herself. Monday the 28th of July was an average day. Susie had taken a phone call at work, a prospective buyer interested in one of the properties she had for sale. Good morning, Sturgis and Sons. Yes, of course. Would 12.45 be all right? 37 Charles Road. See you there, Mr Kipper. Susie gathered her things, her purse, 15 pounds in cash and her car keys, and headed to 37 Shoreland Road. The house had only been on the market for a week, a sizeable bay window fronted property that would likely sell quickly. Perhaps today would be the day. Susie left the office at 12.30 and arrived at Shoreland Road 10 minutes later. At 12.45, Susie was joined by a man. She's written the words, 37 Shorold, Mr Kipper, O forward slash S, in her work diary. O forward slash S is Susie's shorthand for outside. Mr Kipper, presumably, the name of the client. But what happened next? Well, that's been the subject of speculation for more than 30 years. 
At 6.45 that evening, Susie's manager called the police and reported her missing. Susie hadn't come back to the office, nor was she still at the Shorreld Road property, and she definitely wasn't at home. Richard remembers the first time he heard his sister was missing. My first re recollection of it was when my parents phoned me up in Hertfordshire where I was fish farming. And um, I got this phone call and they said, we don't want to worry you, but Suze hasn't returned from a, a showing around the house. And uh, we have called all the hospitals and the estate agents have informed the police and, uh, you know, um, we're slightly worried, but, you know, the, we don't know what's happened to her. Just after 10pm that night, Susie's white Ford Fiesta was discovered by the police about a mile from her Fulham office, parked outside another house for sale on Stevenage Road. There were no signs of a struggle, nothing broken, no stains or rips on the fabric. But the driver's door was unlocked and the handbrake of the car was off, as if someone had got out in a hurry. They'd found the car with her hat in the back and her keys in the ignition and her handbag, you know, in the seat. And it was a very, it just seemed totally out of the, the you know, this didn't seem like Sue's at all. It's the stuff of nightmares. Someone disappearing without a trace in the middle of the day, in the middle of a suburban street, in one of the busiest cities in the world. Susie's car and her purse were all accounted for, but there was no trace of her. No one, not even the police, had anything to go on other than the name Mr Kipper. But who was Mr Kipper? It was totally baffling to us. We had no idea what and it is, you know, you'll feel totally powerless. And my parents felt that. You do not know what to do. You do not know where to look. You don't know, you know, you're always thinking, I've got to do something to help. And, of course, what can you do? Because London is a, such a big place and she could have been anywhere. Susie's disappearance didn't just consume her family. In the days that followed, it seemed to consume the entire country. The media was really in your face almost from day one, far as we were concerned. At the time, in uh, July, which is a very slow news time, the press started to lap it up as such, and they needed to fill their columns, and so the newspapers uh, were printing lots of stories and trying to get the information out. This was a double-edged sword for Susie's family. On the one hand, it meant that if more people knew about the case, the bigger the possibility someone would have some information which could help find Susie. But on the other hand... It must have been about a week or so after Susie's disappearance, and I was uh, washed the floor after we'd done some stuff, and I was putting newspaper down on the floor just to dry it and stop people slipping. And there was Susie's picture on the, the, the floor. And I was going, oh, do I want people to walk over my sister's picture? 
So why, when hundreds of people go missing every day, did Susie's case gain so much attention? There have been various studies into how the media cover cases. A quiet news day can help. A crime in the capital on the doorstep of the national press helped too. Then there was that photograph the police encouraged the family to release to the press, the one that captured Susie's good looks. Once that hit the front pages, alongside a tabloid headline, the readers were hooked. Susie was the archetypal girl next door. She was one of four siblings and part of a normal white middle-class family. And her disappearance left nothing but questions. Questions the great British public were determined to answer. Her family couldn't do anything but ride the wave. We weren't uh, famous for anything other than my sister disappearing, but everyone knew your name and uh, knew the story at the time. It was amazing amount of press. Amazing. You just can't believe it. The Lamplews remember the media attention as something positive to focus on. They felt like the whole nation was behind them, willing Susie to be found. And in those first few weeks, it kept their spirits and their hopes up. You, you had to feel positive, you had to keep positive. You couldn't think negative thoughts. You didn't want to think the worst. We didn't have a body, so we didn't think, oh, well, she was murdered um, or abducted. You know, there was no evidence for that. She could have gone off, got hit her head and had total amnesia. You know, do you hear, you hear about those sort of people? And so you think, oh, well, that, that may be it, that she's uh, going to come and walk in through the door just now and say, oh, sorry, you know, um, you know, whatever. I, we just did not know. You just have to keep your hopes up. But as time ticked on, hope became harder and harder to hold on to. Neither the media coverage or the police investigation, which included a detailed television reconstruction, produced any leads. Nothing. It was, as Susie's mother Diana wrote five years later, as if she had been erased by a rubber. Going through one thing after another, um, trying to rule everything out in your head. After a month of this, you, you start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe something's happened, but no, no, I've got to keep positive. And then, of course, uh, after, you know, two months, you think, well, she couldn't have missed this. And then, um, you know, you have all these things, that, these sort of milestones, and you think, um, gosh, she wouldn't have missed this. And when we got to Christmas, no, no, you know, there must be some real problem here. Richard, now pragmatic and matter-of-fact, remembers accepting early on that Susie wasn't coming back. She's definitely been uh, either murdered or, you know, abducted, being held for, um, against her will. She can't communicate with us or whatever. And sure enough, the police were investigating every possibility and they had slowly been piecing together a clearer picture of Susie's movements on the last day she was seen. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One witness confirmed seeing Susie arrive for the 12.45 p.m. house viewing. When she disappeared, there was um, sightings from across the road um, of her coming out of the house. And there was a witness of her showing the, this guy around. Another Shorrells Road resident said she'd seen a woman who looked like Susie with a man in a suit and tie, his dark hair slicked back, carrying a bottle of champagne. And someone else said they had seen Susie and a man arguing in front of a black BMW. Could it be that she'd got inside and been driven away? These witnesses helped police produce an e-fit picture of the suspect, which features on the front of all the national newspapers. You can check out that image on our website, themissingpodcast.org. How did he persuade her to get into his car. He has to take her somewhere. You know, he must have planned it very, very well. He must have known, you know, must have really thought about this. She was sitting in a window seat uh, of a state agent, and I'm sure this guy saw her and must have thought, this is the woman I could abduct. I don't know. I don't know what the their motives are. But what if Mr Kipper didn't just see Susie through the window of Sturgis and Sons? What if they'd been face to face before and not as a prospective house buyer and estate agent? Richard certainly thinks that's possible. I think he must have been grooming Suze for some time. I just can't believe that Suze would have just gone off in his car. Um... It may have been that they were. He convinced her that he was going, wanted to see another house or something. But why would she leave her keys and her handbag behind? I, I just don't know. And then there's the fact that before Susie went missing, she told her flatmate and family that she'd been seeing a man from Bristol. After one date, where he'd taken Susie motor racing, she told her mum that she was a little scared of him. He was intense and had been pestering her with calls and flowers. She planned to see him for lunch again, but only to break it off. So could Mr Kipper have been this spurned lover, furious that Susie had ended their relationship? Was the champagne a gift to convince her to try again? Was the argument next to the BMW because she refused?
The Metropolitan Police worked on Susie's case for over a year. The witness statements only went so far. There was no forensic evidence to be obtained from the car. It was the 80s. There was no CCTV, no mobile phones, no smoking gun. Eventually, police admitted they had nowhere else to go, and they wound down their active investigation in October 1987. But as with all missing persons cases, Susie's file remained open in the hope that new information would come to light. And sure enough, only days later, something else happened which brought Susie's case firmly back into the spotlight. On the 8th of October, 1987, 15 months after Susie disappeared, another woman vanished. 29-year-old sales manager Shirley Banks had gone late-night shopping in the city of Bristol. She'd bought a dress from Debenham's department store and was due to meet her husband for dinner. Only she never arrived and she was reported missing. Police were stumped. Then, three weeks later and a hundred miles to the north, a man in a motorcycle helmet charged into a clothes shop in Lymington Spa and held the female shop assistant at knife point. The attacker was arrested as he fled to his black BMW. His name was John Canan. A police search of his garage revealed Shirley's mini Clubman car and there was no explaining how it got there. The car had been repainted and there was a curious alteration. The number plate had been changed to read SLP 386. Police have tonight charged a man with the abduction and murder of Shirley Banks. John Canan, 33, was arrested in the West Midlands area before being brought to Bristol for questioning. He'll appear in court in the morning. But the press, for whom Susie Lampley was still a story that hooked readers, wondered if he'd been responsible for Susie's disappearance too. After all, John Canan was a dangerous man, clearly capable of abducting and murdering a woman. And then there was the strange new number plate, SLP386. Could SLP stand for Susie Lamplew? The 86, the year she was taken. Soon the theories started to build, in the media at least, that Canaan had abducted Susie. It was to do with what he'd done in the past, for one. He was very much had abducted other or attempted to abduct others. He could fit the actual sort of description of the, the man that we would seen coming out of the house. He uh, was present in London and there was evidence of the car number plate and he, just the way he works. The list of circumstantial evidence that could link John Canan to Susie's disappearance was vast. He bore a striking resemblance to the EFIT picture put together by witnesses of the man Susie had been seen with on Shorold's Road. And he had a predilection for crimes against professional young women. Police spoke to Canan about the case, but he denied any involvement. In fact, he said he'd never even been to Fulham. But when detectives looked into that, they found something surprising. 
Three days before Susie vanished, Kanan had been released from a prison hostel in London, where he had been serving a six-year sentence for rape. And in those three days, he'd spent time in Fulham. Kanan was a regular in this wine bar, situated only yards from the front door of what was then Sturgis Estate Agents. Three days after John Cannon's release, Susie Lamplew disappeared. Her file has never been closed. That wasn't the only surprise in store for detectives. When they looked into Cannon's time in prison, they found he boasted an unusual nickname. I don't know why he was called Mr Kipper or Kipper, but um, yes, there was a nickname. Reports emerged that Kipper was John's nickname behind bars perhaps on account of the fact he liked frequent naps. I suppose you're, you're innocent until proven guilty, and we can't uh, obviously say he definitely did it until he admits to it, but all the evidence points that way. Detectives questioned John Canan on multiple occasions about Susie's disappearance. This is a recording of one of those interviews in the year 2000. I don't really see, as things currently stand, what else there is to be said. Mrs. Lamplew thinks I've done it. She's accused me of doing it. I've tried twice. I've, I've spoken to you three times. I've answered every question you've put to me. I've invited Mrs. Lamplew herself up to the prison, Franklin Prison, to have a quiet word to me. I've said I'll go on the lie detector test, the truth, drug, or anything you want to put me on. Detectives even took the unusual step of publicly naming Canan as their prime suspect in 2002. They felt the evidence they had would be enough to charge him with Susie's murder. But prosecutors disagreed. Police needed more. And the fact remains, there was not enough evidence to charge John Canan. Canan himself continues to deny any involvement in Susie's disappearance. I have committed crime. I've done many things wrong in my life. Um, things that, believe me, I am genuinely sorry for. Um, one or two things I haven't been caught for. I'm trying, as I've always tried, for 12 years to try and help you, to try and help persuade you that it wasn't me. I gather that there was a lot of evidence that, but it was all very circumstantial. They, they couldn't pin it right down on him, and that's why they couldn't charge him. John Canan remains in prison for the murder of Shirley Banks. He'll be eligible for release in 2023. We should stress here, there is still insufficient evidence to charge Canan, and he has always denied any involvement. So could it be that John Canan is not the right suspect? In 2008, the Met explored a possible link between Susie Lamplew and convicted serial killer Steve Wright. Wright had murdered five women in the small town of Ipswich, about 90 minutes from London, in 2006. But a look into his past revealed he had once worked with Susie in the early 80s, and they'd remained in touch. Those detectives couldn't find any evidence connecting Wright to her disappearance, but it proved that they couldn't just rely on one theory. And Susie's case would never be far from the news. Whenever you hear new stuff coming up, you always sort of go, oh, that might be, you know, might lead, might, might help. And, oh, that's good because 
we can, you know, this will help to find Suze. In 1999, Diana Lampley, Susie's mother, received some new information from a secret source. That source claimed that Susie's body could be within the grounds of abandoned army barracks at Norton, Worcestershire. Later, that source would turn out to be an ice dancer called Jilly Page. She was Canan's ex-girlfriend. She revealed that Canan had confessed to her that he had raped and murdered Susie before burying her body at the disused barracks, something Canan denies. It did strike me as a bit of a needle in a haystack um, type. It was an enormous place that they were looking for her. We did got information. I must admit, I didn't get the information straight away. Um, it wasn't given to me, but the police got it. And they went ahead and searched for it. her there. It was such a vast area to search. I must admit, I was thinking, whoa, and such a long time after the disappearance that you do... Well, again, you, you get your hopes up, don't you? In response, police conducted a fingertip search of a disused brickworks and a surrounding lake near the barracks. And, of course, oh, they don't find anything. Police looked multiple times and covered a vast area in the search for Susie's body. But that wasn't the only search. In 2018, officers turned their attention to Canaan's mother's home. Police had looked there before, but they'd never dug up the garden or carried out an extensive search of the home, until some new information prompted them to conduct a forensic search. The first time we knew, I knew about it was an email from the police to say that they were searching Canaan's mum's house. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Everything sort of fitted. I thought, oh, this could be it. And the press really just leapt on it. We had them outside our door. My daughter came down. I was at work. <laughs> My daughter came down uh, to answer the door and there were the press, uh, she was in her pyjamas and saying, you know, looking for me. And it was just uh, an amazing amount of press. And, and I must admit, at that time, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is something. And they spent a lot of money on this. And maybe they've got, you know, maybe this is really, we, we've got something here. But again, nothing. All we want to do is to bury Sue's where we want to bury her, not where he wanted to bury her. That's what we want, and that's what, as far as we're concerned, is the most important thing. In October 2020, while we were making this episode, news broke of another new breakthrough. A lorry driver who saw a man he believed to be Canaan placing a large suitcase into the Grand Union Canal in West London. The report claimed that the lorry driver had in fact reported his sighting back in 1986, but it hadn't resulted in a search of the canal. Perhaps they were mistaken, or perhaps not, but a recent search of the canal while officers were investigating another crime didn't turn up a suitcase. Without answers, Richard remains in limbo. He believes 
based on all the years of circumstantial evidence, the police naming Canaan their prime suspect and the police searches linked to Canaan, that he is responsible. But Canaan has never been charged and has always denied involvement, claiming it is a police smear campaign. What Richard has had to accept is that Susie is likely to be dead. In the UK, you can apply for a death certificate once someone has been missing for seven years, something the Lamplews reluctantly did to end that period of limbo. Everything's put on hold for a whole seven years, so any family who has a missing person cannot do anything for seven years. So in terms of financial or sell houses or whatever, they can't, they've, it's seven years is the uh, uh, cutoff. So it's, that is really tough for families. And there remains the hope of answers. Well, the trail is starting to get cold, isn't it? Because 35 years ago and yeah, those people are getting quite old. So, yeah, it's never too late. We'll always, uh, you know, I'm sure the police would always be willing and the case seems to be open, kept open. So hopefully, you know, one day we will be able to do that, bury her where we want to bury her. In the immediate months after Susie's disappearance, her mother Diana set up the Susie Lamplew Trust to help women and men who might be victims of aggression and to help the families of missing people. My mum, it was something for her to do. She saw it and she also wanted something good to happen out of this tragedy. So she, she saw it as a, a mission to save other women from uh, falling into the same situation as my sister. She suddenly realised that she had power to do that. And after a, a few weeks, that was when she started to look at producing the trust. It's gone from strength to strength. And it is so exciting that it, and really brilliant that it continues on. That's the one major legacy that I'm really pleased about. Susie's mother passed away in 2011 and her father died in 2018, neither of them getting the answers they so desperately craved. Now Richard hopes he'll one day learn what happened to his sister it'll give him the opportunity to mourn properly. And that's why he hopes that someone listening at home might be able to offer fresh insight. It might sound futile if you weren't in London or you weren't even alive in 1986, but by discussing the case, keeping the details alive and processing the facts, Richard hopes the case will never fade away and trigger someone who does know something to speak up. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases, 
and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.